it sounds like we're starting to look forward Ooh. to the rest of the season. Ooh. So maybe this is the point where we transition from lockdown Celtics to anything is potable. I like Does this that. mean Jam Jam gets to like yell something or Welcome to <laughs> Anything is potable? <laughs> you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, joined by the Rain and Jays. We're back. Yeah, baby. People. We got John Corrales here from MassLive.com and Locked On Celtics. We just did up, 40 up. minutes talking about the Celtics season so far. We're going to do 40 more, baby. Talk, probably not that long, but we're going to be talking about uh, the Celtics season moving forward. We're also joined by beat reporter for the athletic, the kid, the legend, El Nino himself, Jay King, uh, also here. El Nino, El, huh? So, El Nino. So this is, this is the kid. When did that happen? I discovered it. uh, That that, that's what it meant on uh, this morning on Twitter. This is this is a two part podcast, guys. Go. We reviewed the first. I guess it's not really half the first two thirds of the season on the Locked On Celtics podcast. So go check that out. Now we're here to give a look ahead, and and you should you should listen if you don't subscribe to us already. Search for the Anything Is Potable podcast. We give you. There are two D's in that, extra D, and <laughs> subscribe on iTunes, Spotify. We've got two shows, two shows a week, all free. Respect to the to the listener gods. All right, so looking forward, I would say let's start very short term. The Celtics have probably the toughest part of their schedule remaining in the season coming up with this West Coast trip. Four games uh, starting in Minnesota, then they play the Lakers, and then a back to back Portland and Utah. Uh, let's just do the immediate short looking forward. What should we, the Celtics fans, expect from the team coming off like a, a? They're riding high right now. People are fat and happy, hanging out in the Bahamas. Jalen Brown was hanging off in Cuba. Everyone's just taking photos of them, looking off into the distance. Uh, everyone's feeling good, and so it's like, do they have the what it takes to kind of refocus, get back in there, and kind of like. Uh, get back to the championship habits on, which is probably the the toughest kind of road trip they have um, for the rest of the year. Well, I mean, it's, I I would expect a little bit of cooling off at at some point here. Um, We alluded to it on the first part of the podcast on the locked on Celtic side where uh, Jason Tatum has been playing so out of his mind that coming out of the all-star break, I wonder if he's going to have kind of like that hangover of the the buzz of like, oh, man, I can't believe I was just an all-star and all that stuff, and it was so cool. And then he just kind of like exhales a little bit and maybe has a, a tough shooting night in Minnesota. I, I would expect the Celtics to win a couple of these games on the road trip. I'd be happy with two and two. I think that Utah game is a schedule loss, but Utah is has had some tough uh, – performances in situations against teams that may have schedule losses that they ended up losing the games themselves. So um, I think I think you should beat Minnesota, and if they split one of those two, the Lakers-Portland game, then I'm chalking up Utah as a schedule loss. So two and two, I'm okay with. 
Let, let's let's move this to bigger picture things. I'm not going to be sitting here talking about the road trip coming up. Let's let's talk about like the the. Hey, biggest... I'm just following the host, man. I'm a guest on this podcast. Yeah, let's, Jay's let's... Jay's doesn't really fall in line here. It's a let's, bit of let's talk about the the bigger. It's funny how we switch over to this podcast and the dynamic just suddenly shifts. Like just the things have changed noticeably, palpably. Bigger, bigger developments. <laughs> I think what one of the questions for the Celtics is whether Jason Tatum, his last month, is indicative of what he's going to do the rest of the regular season, and how dangerous he can be, and thus they can be in the playoffs. So I just want your guys' opinions on whether the Tatum we've seen the last month is actually Jason Tatum. And what that does for the Celtics going into the playoffs, if it is. I think the the Tatum that we've seen is is maybe a little bit ahead of uh, a little bit ahead of schedule. I think there is probably a bit of a regression that we can expect. And you just go back to February first, and I'll I'll read his three point shooting percentages: fifty percent, fifty five percent. 45 and 55%, 57%, then the Ofer in Houston, and then a 50% from three against the Clippers. So that Ofer changed his percentages, but like aside from that game, he's just been blistering hot from three. And I think that's going to come down obviously a little bit. So there, there is a bit of a regression coming for Tatum. Uh, they, they've got some tough competition the Lakers playing in Portland's always hard. Utah, uh, Houston again. You go down. No, the no, you're, there's, you're there's, looking too. You're too far, too short in the future. We got a big picture. <laughs> Sorry, big picture. <laughs> there are. They still have to play Milwaukee. Is March big enough picture? They still got to go to Toronto again. Uh, so they have. They do have tough games. They do have tough opponents, and uh, I, I think he's going to cool off a little bit. The question about, I think, what Tatum's going to be uh, is how he reacts to the cooling off. And I think one thing from Tatum this year that, that does stand out is that he has reacted well to adversity and he hasn't let it affect his game for too, too long. He's recovered from things. So if he can continue to do that, I think he'll be fine. And maybe just a tick below what we've seen over the past month. I think the cool thing about the Celtics team is that, even with the anticipated Jason Tatum coming back to earth, he's still going to be very good, but they still have Kemba Walker and they still have Jalen Brown and they still have Gordon Hayward where like Jason Tatum averaging maybe just 24 points a game and shooting 45% from three, they still have all these pieces that can kind of come together and step up um, and just play a bigger role. I think that's kind of a a cool thing that, that makes this team so malleable is like when Jason Tatum is hot and is the star the team knows to feed him and to kind of give him the ball and to make him the focus of the offense. Um, but just like standard baseline of where they all are as a team, uh, if he's not having a great night, there are other guys who can step up. I think to Jay, to answer your second part of the question for the playoffs, I think Tatum becomes very important and it's important for him to be um, basically be the best player on the floor. Like that's how you win playoff series uh, in the NBA. And I think we, we've we seen that he has that potential. And so I think in the reg- regular season, it, it's kind of fine for him to be able to kind of cool off and like maybe rebuild the kind of back up to that star potential. But in the playoffs, 
they need him to be that superstar, and I think he's perfectly capable of it. And it's like one of the reasons why, like the you have to kind of recalibrate expectations for the Celtics team because going into this season, I like especially because of like the lack of big man. It was like, oh, the Celtics will be a fun team this year, but they have no chances. But now, kind of given that Tatum can be this guy, I think you have to start at least considering. Yeah, mate, they have a chance to run at the East. I mean, the Bucks are playing out of their mind. The Bucks might win 70 games this year, and so it's going to be really hard to beat them in a playoff series, but I don't think it's out of the question that the Celtics would be very competitive in that series. Yeah, and I, I think in today's NBA, like, it's really important to have just a two-way freak. And, like, I put Kawhi Leonard in that. I put Wait, wait, Giannis. wait. Did you yeah, just wait, call wait. somebody a two-way? Two-way? I thought everybody's a two-way player, Both Jay. sides of the ball? Two-way freak. Freak, freaks on both sides of the court, like the long <laughs> wings who can get you a stop, get you a bucket. So Jay no only believes in two-way players if they're freaks. Two-way freaks. I just don't believe like <laughs> Jay, right, are you a two-way we're not even going to get into the two-way talk. But it's important to have <laughs> those guys who play both ends of the court and are freaks, whether it's Kawhi, Giannis, Kevin Durant. All those guys are super, super – Paul George, they're super, super valuable in the playoffs – when you can go get a shot and no defense can really stop you, that's super important. When when you can guard a lot of different types of people and when you can be impactful off the ball, on the ball, whatever, that's super important. So Tatum is developing into that t- that mold of player. I don't know. Like, he's not at Kawhi level. He's not at Giannis level, obviously. But, like, if you look at the Eastern Conference landscape, where does he rank, uh, like, among best players in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Giannis is one, obviously. Giannis is number one. I think Joel Embiid is probably number two. But after that, there are real questions. And I, I don't know where Tatum ranks. I don't right know. now, he's got to be three ahead of Siakam. I think Siakam had him earlier in the year, but he's kind of taken a step back. But I think he has to be three right now. Is Kyle Lowry three? Hell no. Kyle Lowry's fantastic. <laughs> Kyle Lowry's Take damn good, and he's an all-star grifter, and he's a very, very good basketball player, but he is not a two-way freak. He's a he's a short little point guard with a giant ass. There's no way he's better than Jason Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my point is, going into the playoffs, like it's possible Tatum is going to be the third best player in the Eastern Conference heading into the playoffs. If he's better than... Like, obviously, Kemba factors into that conversation. I think Ben Simmons factors into that conversation. There are other guys who definitely factor into that. Do you think Jimmy Butler counts? Jim, Jimmy Butler does too, yeah, definitely. I'm sorry to Jimmy. I didn't mention him earlier in this conversation. He, he deserves my respect. But Tatum has a chance to be one of those guys. And so that that's why I think him maintaining this level of play is, is super important because when you have one of those guys, it it's a huge deal. And I think for the Celtics to, to take the next step, whether it's this year, next year, two years down the road, whenever – Tatum has to be that guy who can go and get a shot against any type of defense and also get stops when you need it. And he's sort of looked like that guy over the past month plus. And that's why I think it's so critical for the Celtics that he continues to develop and he continues to grow and he continues to show that he is this player that he's been over since January 10th or whatever it was when he had that 41-point explosion against the Pelicans. Well, I think for the the key for Tatum to continue to do that, I mean, some of it is matchup based. Who who's defending you? What what kind of defenses are you facing? It's going to be a real challenge for him against Milwaukee. Obviously, it's going to be a challenge for everybody against Milwaukee. But uh, 
can the Celtics continue uh, getting him these open opportunities? And can he not get caught up in a conversation like we're having right now? Can he not get caught up in feeling he needs to be that guy? Part of what I think makes him so effective is the confidence that he can get that shot, but also knowing that he doesn't have to take that shot all the time. Like He's not the guy that's going to go out there and score 40 because he has to. He scores 40 because that's the opportunity that he has. And can he still be patient and be part of the overall offense with Kemba, with Gordon, with Jalen? Because the the thing that's going to make the Celtics successful as a team and individually is making the right play to get it to the guy that has the right matchup, whichever guy it is. If it's Kemba first, then it's Kemba first. And when defenses adjust to that guy, the other guys now fill in and start attacking. And if if they can continue to do that and start, like, even in the Clippers game, it was scoring in shifts. It was Marcus Smart had like 10 points. And then I think Tatum had a bunch and Kemba had a bunch. And then eventually it kind of shook out that Tatum just kind of started feeling it. And then he took over. As long as he's kind of riding that wave and taking over as as the game kind of comes to him, then yes, I think he can continue to be that guy. If he starts to force things and try to to force that wave, then I think he takes away from the overall offense. And then he also takes away a chance for maybe it's Jalen's night to do that. Maybe it's Kemba's night to do that. Maybe it's Gordon's night to do that. As long as he still plays within the construct of what they've been doing all season long, then he's going to continue to have these opportunities. It's going to naturally come to him. That's why I think Kemba's presence and like willingness to defer to Tatum now is so important. It's just because it feels like in terms of establishing, I guess, culture or kind of what the right thing to do is. I just, Tatum, I think, does have this tendency to sometimes kind of put, he has the confidence and he puts his head down. He's trying to get his, but if there's like the team very much feels like they're going to feed the guy with a hot hand or they're going to make the right read. And so I, I feel like I'm less concerned about Tatum buying into his own hype and really trying to go for it just because if he's getting a lot of attention, it feels like with the Celtics this year, they're making the right pass and they're finding the other guys. And you have, it's Kemba Walker. Like he's been in the league for X a number of years and Tatum's still 19 years old. And so I think the you're, <laughs> there's like no reason to be that concerned about him kind of like not deferring to kind of Kemba or just like not playing within the game plan. I think Tatum is, is be, like his youth and Kemba's experience and kind of Kemba being the vet. I don't think that's as big a concern um, for the Celtics moving forward. Um, because I just think the culture, like the championship habits that I think – Brad, I still remember this from last year. Is like Brad, the first thing he said after they uh, lost the Buck series is like they had championship habits. We did not do that for the entire year, and it feels like in terms of like building winning habits, impacting winning, and making the right decision, that's something the Celtics have been like kind of deposited in the bank uh, for the entire season. And so I feel like there's less of a concern about slippage with that regard. Yeah, and I think like as good as Kemba Walker has been, and I think for most of the season. He has been Boston's best player, although Tatum has probably taken that mantle over the last month and a, a little while. But as good as he's been, what separates the Celtics to me is that they have 
so many wings who can do so many things and hurt mismatches all over the place. And when they have Hayward, Tatum, and Brown all operating together, and those guys have, have played really well together, and they can all beat a smaller guy, they can all take a bigger guy out to the perimeter, they can all shoot threes, they can all work in the post, they can all work in the mid-range. That, to me, is is what separates them from other teams. And, like, against the Bucks, they're not going to have the best player in that series. Giannis is going to be the best player in that series. The Celtics' four, five closest guys, they have to be somewhere in the top seven, right? Like, they need to have five of the best seven players in that series. Middleton will probably be somewhere. But if, like, Bledsoe, George Hill are a couple of the best players in the series – that's going to go the to our guy way. George Hill. But I think like the Celtics <laughs> what differ, <laughs> what differentiates the Celtics this year even beyond Kemba and p- part of it is him helping the other guys with all the attention he draws. But like those three wings are just really really tough for teams to guard. You can't have enough defenders on them. Like it's hard very few teams have three legitimate wing defenders. And like I, I, I harp on this on the podcast all the time. People are probably sick of hearing me say it, but I do think like that having all those dynamic guys needs to be what they rely on in the playoffs. Can I tell you who I think might be like one of the low key most important guys moving forward? Low yeah. key? Are you going to say Daniel Tice again? No, no. I'm going with a different low key. Grant Williams, going, Robert Williams, Time Lord. Because, because I think one of the problems that the Celtics are going to have, especially in the playoffs, is Ennis Cantor. And who has been good in a lot of stretches for the Celtics. And I, I agree when I was listening to the grading of the podcast. I forget what you gave him. It was like a B or a B plus or something like that. Um, that's, that's about right. For what Cantor has been defensively, there hasn't been the the drop off that we've you would normally expect. the The times where he's been bad, he's been just brutally, horribly bad, and I think that colors a lot of the the uh, the reaction online when you see people very mad online about him. But it, I think part of why the Celtics defense has been so good with him still on the floor is because teams aren't adjusting to, hey, Cantor's on the floor, let's attack him in the pick and roll. The teams that have are naturally pick and roll teams. And I think the teams that you, you'll you meet in the playoffs will, will adjust and there's much more of a likelihood to attack him and make him less playable, if not unplayable in certain games, certain situations. So that means when Daniel Tice, who's been great, as we heard about in the last podcast – when he sits, it's either Grant go small or Robert Williams as their your rim protector, rim runner. And a lot of times when we've seen Ennis Cantor be terrible, it's because he's been in matchups where they would normally probably play Robert Williams. The Houston game especially, it comes to mind. So, yeah, and the Raptors game when Van Vliet and Lowry were just kind of yeah. roasting him. The Sixers game where Josh Richardson just tore him to shreds. Right. So those are situations where because you didn't have Rob, <laughs> you 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 say, "All right, well, you got to play Cantor because you got to play somebody and and Tice, whether it's the war on Tice with the fouls or just by you, you can't play 48 minutes. He's got to sit. And Grant 
has been, I think, very good for the Celtics for for who he is. But it's you still need a center. You still need a big guy. And so I think Robert Williams and his health is going to be super, super important for the Celtics moving forward. And one of their priorities is making sure that they manage him properly to get him back at the right time without forcing him back too soon and getting him ready for the playoffs. In the G League, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that would be very beneficial to him. That's a low blow. That's a low blow. But I think I think it, it's it's going to be really critical for the Celtics and along the same lines to manage Cantor's minutes properly in the playoffs. To know the situations when you can get away with him. To know the situations when his lack of lateral quickness is going to be a real issue. And I, however they do it, whether it's playing Grant Grant Williams in the middle or having Robert Williams play more minutes as a backup center, like they need to figure that out. And I think Stevens will need to have a quick hook with Cantor and he'll need to know immediately when it's not Cantor's night. And like that's that's going to be some stressful times because obviously Cantor does have utility. Obviously, he's a really good offensive rebounder. Obviously, he can score points for that second unit. And then the other part of it, too, is I think Stevens is going to need to manage having enough shooting on the court at all times. I think as they head to the playoffs, like teams are going to leave Shimmy Ojale. Teams are going to leave Grant Williams. Teams are going to leave Brad Wanamaker because even though those guys are all capable of hitting shots sometimes, they're low-volume guys. They don't want to shoot, and it's going to clog up everything for everybody. So... They're going to need those guys to make shots when they do take them, and they're going to need to like just manage those minutes so that they always have enough shooting on the court. Obviously, that's been one of their problems this year. They've just been a mediocre three-point shooting team, even though Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward are all very capable three-point shooters. And another thing that I think is like a, a possible big plus for them is that Tatum and Kemba Walker, between them, shoot like 10 pull-up threes a game. And it's just going to be tough for the Joel Embiid's and the Brooke Lopez's, the guys who like to stay in the paint. It's going to be tough. And if if they can hit those pull-up threes and kind of drag those guys out, then all of a sudden the, 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 the equation changes a little bit. So I'm interested to see what happens when if, if those guys can hit pull-ups and what it does to, to the ge- geometry on the floor. Ooh, ge- I thought you were going to go geography, but geometry is good too. Um, I was going to go, I was stuck in between geography and geometry and I, I went with geometry because I think it makes sense. I'm angles, not sure geography yeah. makes sense. Protractors and such. Let, like, do you think the pull-up threes <laughs> is uh, are enough to kind of combat Joel Embiid? Like, I think this the Celtics still have a Joel Embiid problem, even though they were able to get uh, the victory against the Sixers where Embiid just had, looked like he was like, had a case of the bubble guts, had the some some diarrhea again. He just played awful. Uh, but when he's on, and I just still remember the game in Boston where it felt like that was the best game um, I've seen Joel Embiid play. Do they have enough of offense to kind of, you mentioned the pull-up uh, threes that Kemba and Tatum hit, but can they stop uh, just Joel Embiid playing motivated? Like, Time Lord's going to come in and like do some things, but it's just like, is their defense enough? Because if they can't stop Joel Embiid, then seeding becomes so much more important because you're trying to figure out a way to avoid the Sixers 
um, and just not play them before you get to the Bucks. But if they can stop them, then really the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Final are the big concern. But if he's like a big, uh, the guy you just, they they can't get past. I mean, I still like I could totally see just Joel Embiid having a dominant series, and the Celtics just not having any way to kind of slow him down. Yeah, I I think that's a real concern. But I also think back to last season when the Celtics, like I thought they had legitimate matchup advantages against the Bucks. I thought their pick and pop with Kyrie and Horford was just going to be brutally tough for Brooke Lopez to handle. I thought, I really looked at that series as like, okay, Boston stunk in the regular season. Milwaukee was great, but in the playoffs, like matchups could tilt this toward Boston's way. That never happened because of those habits. And so maybe maybe Philadelphia is just kind of broken. I'm not sure if that's true. They're definitely redeemable. They certainly have a lot of talent. But I do wonder if like too much attention is paid to matchups sometimes. And sometimes it's just like one team is better than the other. I think the the Embiid thing can be neutralized. Uh and I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the the new big three era when they came up against uh, Orlando and Dwight Howard, you just, you just deal with him, And you, if he's going to try to back you down, then you let him try to back you down. And if he's going to score, he'll score. But that's what you don't want is Ben Simmons in transition. Cause that's going to kill you. Cause he's going to not only dunk all over you, but you know, drive and dish and, and make other guys better. And you want to neutralize the other guys on the Philly team. And, what I don't fear for him from Embiid is a full great game every game of the series because I just don't trust his conditioning. He can he can dominate early, but if you don't overreact to that and you stay disciplined on everybody else, I think you can survive it. And if you make him work defensively and really run a lot of action that makes him kind of slide and make decisions and, and have to, to work on that end, he's going to start chucking threes pretty soon uh, into the game. And maybe he'll have a game where he hits four of seven from three and you just got to deal with it. But I will take my chances on Embiid with his conditioning, slowing down and working him to a point where he just doesn't take advantage of whatever posting up that he can do. And and so I, I obviously Philly is good and the Celtics have had problems with Philly. I think that there is a way to get by them and they've been dysfunctional dysfunctional enough where if you force Embiid to just try to do it all, then that's going to break down everything else that they're trying to do. I think th- this conversation and like Philly right now would be the five seed. The Pacers who are really competent would be the six seed, the Heat. In the four seed, they're dangerous too. I think this conversation shows like the race for the number two seed between Boston and Toronto could be really important. Getting Brooklyn in the first round instead of Indiana or Philadelphia would be huge. Avoiding Joel Embiid is the best way to stop Joel Embiid. <laughs> like if you don't have to play that guy, it doesn't matter that he's way bigger than everybody on your roster. And it doesn't matter that you might have trouble handling him. It doesn't. So I think... The regular season should be important for the Celtics from now on because that second seed is could be the difference between playing Brooklyn, who will probably be less than 500, or playing Philadelphia, who is 
loaded with talent, even though their fit hasn't been perfect this year. So there's no pressure, Celtics, but you better get that two seed. Also in a potential second-round matchup against the Raptors, uh, home court advantage, I think, would be pretty important. The Celtics got their first win in Toronto this year on Christmas Day for, uh, I'm just remembering the soundbite, but it's at least three years because it's been in Jalen Brown's entire career. Winning in Toronto is is pretty tough, and it seems like the Celtics have a much better uh, time with just playing the Raptors at home. I don't think, like, I for some reason I just have this innate belief that the Celtics can get past Toronto um, just because of that kind of best player on the court. I don't think, I think Siakam's kind of faded. I definitely don't think Kyle Lowry is best player on the court. But in terms of talking about, play, like, building those championship habits and playing really good basketball and having a really great coach, Toronto has been all of those things this year and slightly better than the Celtics in terms of record how do you think the Celtics fare against uh, a matchup against the Raptors? Let's say it's that second round, and um, how important is it? Is it so razor cl- close that something like home court advantage in Game Seven would matter? Jay, <laughs> I was just gonna say Corrales. Uh, <laughs> I, I think those teams, to me, after Milwaukee, are on the second tier. So I think it's Toronto, Boston, in whatever order in the second tier. Miami. Jay, I'm literally first. asking you to or, to pick one. Order them. <laughs> Who do you think yeah, is better? And, and how I, do they I'm, match I'm up? Giving you some, I'm giving you some nuance here, Packer. Oh, thank you. I'm, thank you. You should learn something about a little nuance, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think – so Lowry and Fred Van Vliet together are just really tough. And I think that would be a tough series for Cantor. Uh, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul – like they're not the most dangerous offensive pieces in the world, but those two dudes are big and helpful and talented at basketball. Siakam is one of those guys like Tatum who has a chance to be a real two-way problem, both way. A problem, two-way though. freak. Two two-way <laughs> freak. He, he has a chance to be a two-way freak in the playoffs. He's become a legitimate all-star. Really, really good. So I think Toronto and Boston. Like I don't know who would win that series. I would love to watch it. That is for sure. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and and claim that the Celtics will definitely win or the Raptors will definitely win. It let the games play out, Packard. <laughs> oh, sorry. I this, will, the whole point I of this claim. podcast is See, looking forward. I, I knew Corrales was going to claim. I knew it. See, this is yeah. why this is why we work together, fellas. This, this it hurts my heart right now that we can't. We can't still be the Rain and Jays all the time because moments like this, we just fit. That's right. That's I mean, right. Well, I, knew, I wasn't. I knew Corrales I wasn't gonna was going to claim. Have a, make a claim yeah. too. I got. I, I was. Got I wasn't going to claim until Jay just hemmed and hawed. So I'm like, screw it. I will make a claim that the Celtics will win that series. Hell yeah, I think the Celtics can win that series. Uh, but it, obviously, uh, it, it does hinge a lot on what what they can get out of that big. Uh, big man matchup for Toronto. Um, I think that that could be where the the series is won and lost. Um, I think th- this could be a series where it it comes down to if uh, Marcus Gasol can go off and there's nothing they can do about it, then that opens up so much because you have to be concerned with him. And it, it definitely, I think, would eliminate Cantor from from playing in that series at all, except for like, I don't know, maybe he gets two, three minutes here and there, uh, and they can figure something out. But Marcus uh, really isn't the type of dude who goes off anymore, though. Like, yeah, he feels me, really bigger, old. 
the bigger but, okay, issue is it's like true. Lowry and Van Vliet are so good going downhill that that makes it that's what makes it super tough for Cantor to stay on the floor. And also, that's why don't, Robert Williams or Grant Williams would be huge in that series. Don't discount that Marc Gasol is I mean, yes, he's he's older, but he went through an entire finals run, then he went to the World Cup and went and won that. And so he hasn't had a lot of time off. So don't discount the possibility that a lot of this season from Marc Gasol has just been a little bit of coasting and, and kind of saving himself because he was a little on the old side to be coming back and playing at his complete best after having the finals and, and run over the summer that he had. So I still have a little bit of fear in me that Gasol has something left in the reserves because he's been saving himself. And I'm not willing to write him off just yet. I mean, I would never write off a Gasol. Don't. Don't 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 put that evil on. Felt me. like writing I, off, I'm Jay. I'm not gonna sit here. Felt like you were writing him off. off of I, just, I wrote him off. I, I just, called him washed. He's old as fuck. <laughs> he's he's still a basketball genius. Puts put some respect on his name, Packer. I think this but, the, the point about like winning the championship last year has been like pretty beneficial for the Raptors and just in terms of like championship habits again and just like knowing how to play the right uh, like, way of basketball. So I think like in terms of teamness and just like the secret or whatever you want to call it. I like the Raptors. They're, they're sneaky. Good. <laughs> They've won 15 games straight, but they are a sneaky good team. And I think uh, Nick nurse will probably win coach of the year in a, in a year where uh, the bucks win 70 games, which is just goes to show you kind of how good of a year he's having. Yeah. I mean, he's, I think last year, for the Raptors with a lot of the load management for Kawhi gave them the confidence that they could they could win without him. And when he left, that kind of galvanized a lot of the same guys that were around. You're like, you know, they're going to write us off. So it's a very rare for a defending champion to kind of have the, you know, us against the world mentality. But they had the confidence from last year. They're all really good players. Like, let, 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 let's start with that. They're all really good players. And then you give them the confidence of, hey, in this finals run, we we did a lot without Kawhi. And then you get everybody like, well, maybe they'll blow it up. They, people came into the season thinking that Toronto was going to struggle so much that Kyle Lowry is going to be traded and who knows who the, who's going to stick around and, and decisions that have to be made. And they that kind of stuff matters to athletes and the pride kicks in. And they've been playing extraordinarily well, so they're gonna be they're gonna be dangerous for sure. Um, as much as I, I say I'm gonna claim, I, I'm really honestly I'm with Jay on this that I, I think the Celtics are the the better team now, even though their record's not better because of the the team that the Celtics are in this moment because of Jason Tatum taking a step forward from who he was at the beginning of the season. That makes them a slightly better team, even if they end up finishing third versus the Toronto finishing second. I, I like where the Celtics are positioned, and if they can continue this moving forward, and if they can stay healthy, and Jalen Brown can kind of come back in and get back to what he was earlier in the season before he had two ankle injuries and his production dipped, uh, I, I think they'll they'll have a chance to go into the the playoffs as people thinking like if we were ranking them like a power rankings that the Celtics would be second just because the growth they've, they've been able to grow more over the course of the season Isaiah. than the Raptors have. Let, it's all about the process. 
Let's talk about the rookies a little bit because obviously there's a chance that the rookies help shape the Celtics' future. And I think Grant Williams has shown he's going to be a contribute, contributor of, of some sort unless he's traded away. He's going to be a rotation guy for a long time. But Romeo Langford, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, Taco Fall, do you see any of those guys as having a a long-term future with Boston and how important, like how, I guess, how would you rank the importance of those guys moving forward? And even this season, like, do you think any of them have a chance to make a difference in the playoffs? I absolutely think Grant can like come in and give a very solid six minutes off the bench. I think he's most likely to have like kind of a, the stain power, but especially if if Cantor struggles, like, there's going to be some grant time, grant that center time in the playoffs, I think. Yeah, and I think it's like they're just, Brad seems to like want to go small, and I think he allows them to go smallish uh, without going super small with the, kind of the best five lineup. I think he's the most likely to have an impact, but in terms of importance of like this team moving forward, like I think Grant will be a solid role player, but I don't know if the Celtics necessarily need any of the other guys to hit for them to be like to reach their potential, their potential feels like it's entirely on the backs of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And so agreed, but like to me, Romeo Langford is the one that could end up mattering long-term that could really end up mattering. Cause like I said, like they're built on having long versatile wings. If they have another one to bring off the bench who can score a little and defend a little and do whatever Romeo is going to do then that matters. And so Romeo is the guy to be like, he's a swing factor to me. I mean, sure, but he's going to have to get a lot of opportunity between oh, yeah. now there, and the play. A, like there's a lot for him to prove. And I'm not, I'm not talking about short term. I don't think he'll Jay's make talking a big picture here. Big. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, like big, like, yeah, sure. I mean, big picture then. Yeah. Big sure. picture. Yeah. But I'm just talking about big picture. Like he's going to need some opportunities this season to to show that that he can he can do what what's needed and you know they tried to throw him in against the Rockets and and he got destroyed and so he's I think if we're looking at this season rookies that are going to do anything it begins and ends with Grant Williams and I yeah. I would love to see Langford thrown into that mix. But I, I think that ship has sailed so much. Uh, the the opportunity, as we mentioned in the Lockdown Celtics half of this podcast, he go he listen had to so, it, guys. Yeah, go check that out because you're only getting half. It's like watching, you know, the the sequel to a movie that you didn't see the beginning. Of. Like you got to see both. It's like uh, watching only Home Alone three. You need one like, and yeah, two for context. Yeah, you know, or else you're completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> this but, isn't a, we're not talking about a, a threequel here, man. There's just a sequel. There's just two of our, them, Packard. I don't know. We've been going for almost an hour and a half. This might be four podcasts before we're done with it. That uh, is true. The, Romeo's had so many injuries in a row that he's, I think, past how much he can help this this team this season. Because now, over the last 20-whatever games are, are left – it's about honing things in. You're 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 sanding. You're putting the final finishing touches on this team, and 
and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Romeo can get in there and get some minutes and, and kind of force his way into the conversation. But Brad Stevens is going to trust Shemi Ojale before he trusts Romeo Langford in a playoff series. Cause you know that Shemi's going to go out there. He's been in a playoff series. And even though Shemi's been, you know, you would say up and down or whatever this season, he, you trust him to defend you trust him to understand the moment and understand what he's he's trying to do, what's asked of him. And he can go out there and hit a three or two. Like he, his three-point shot has come around. So th- that's as far down the bench as you're going to get. You're going to get your five guys, your core five guys. Your sixth is going to be your starting center, Daniel Tice. You know that you're going to get uh, maybe some level of Grant but then it's Wanamaker who's going to get trusted. It's uh, Ojale that's going to get trusted. And then Cantor's going to get thrown into the mix. And, and then Robert Williams. Like, that's that's your playoff rotation. So, Romeo, if Romeo's getting into a playoff rotation, then he's either somehow seized this moment over the, the next two months or something has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, pretty much. But um, my point about him being being important long-term is like, you know the core, and obviously Gordon Hayward is an X factor. Whatever he does with his contract situation could change things at the top of the rotation. But like like we've said, the bench can be an issue right now. If you hit on whether it's Romeo, if Carson does a big turnaround and becomes a bench scorer, not gonna if, happen. If, if if one of the three first round picks. From next year, if you can turn those into at least one like top eight or nine rotation guy, a, a viable top eight or nine rotation guy, like that's a big deal. Because we talk about how they get a little thin and shooting can be an issue on the bench. And they could use a little more playmaking, a little more pop. If If one of those guys pans out, then that could make a big difference to their rotation long term. I think Robert Williams is the other one because obviously they're going to end up spending a lot of money on the perimeter with Kemba Walker, max contract, Gordon Hayward, whatever happens with him. Jalen Brown is already locked into a big contract. Jason Tatum probably got a max contract extension coming soon. They're going to be spending a ton of money on the perimeter. They're going to need to cobble together a front court every year on cheap dollars. And right now they have Tice who's been good and Cantor who's been good each for $5 million per season or less. But if Robert Williams hits and Robert Williams becomes a starting caliber center long term, that's a big deal for them. And to to be able to find that would unearth that on their own roster right now would be major, major, major for them long term. And I don't know what the odds are of that happening. Obviously, he's shown some skills this year and he flies. He certainly flies. Man loves to jump and he can do it better than almost anyone. But like to me... He's a huge variable for them one way or another. All right, folks, we got to we gotta wrap it up. We've been podcasting for nearly a, an hour and a half now. We're talking about the long-term fit of Robert Williams and the, the draft picks that have yet to be drafted. We, we got fully <laughs> We've done big it picture. All. We got big fully big picture, picture. boys. We t- looked all the way back in episode one on the Locked On Celtics podcast looking at the Celtics season. We looked all the way forward here on Anything is Potable. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to John Corrales, the original reigning Jay, for joining us here on Potable and having us Corrales, on Locked On I, Celtics. I, I won't say this often, but I miss you, man. Ah. Uh...
I wish I could say the same. (laughs) (laughs) Anything is potable!